everyone, and welcome back to HOA. It's a true story. Our guest today is attorney Zer Iyer, principal from Hughes Gill, Cochran, and Tenetti Law Firm. She is a returning guest on our show, but it has been a few years. It has. And <laughs> however, I, I must say we're still really excited to have you back, and I'm more excited that you agreed to come back. <laughs> of course. <laughs> or at least another round. So we are going to be discussing the newest AB 648 bill, and I know you have some very important information on this today. So thank you again for joining us, and welcome. Thank HOA, you. Thanks for story. having me. It is great to be back. And it was like two years, two it's and a half been, years ago. Yeah, so. you, you were way back when we were still just coming out of COVID. So. Right, because I spoke about new COVID restriction issues. That's right. So that's how you know how old it is. But no, this is great. And congratulations to you guys. This podcast has just Thank taken you. on a life of its own. It's been a wild ride. It's really awesome. You're really carving out an interesting niche and you're providing a lot of really good information on so many different topics. It's, it's really, really cool. I really appreciate very, that. Very cool. It's a yeah. labor of love for sure. <laughs> and also joining us today, we have Kelly Zybel from DC Group Management. Oh, it's good to be here in person. And we have, a, I know we're in person today, which really makes it fun. And a special guest back with us, hasn't seen the, the microphone for a while, Russell Brown, the owner of GB Group. I was just thinking that I was, I probably haven't done a podcast since Zer did her last one. So <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be back. Thank you. Well, I'm really thrilled to have all of you guys today. So let's kind of kick off here briefly. Let's talk about what your law firm does so people know who you are and what you guys provide to HOAs. Sure. So Hughes Gill Cochran Tinetti is a full service law firm that specializes in the representation of homeowner associations. I really think after working here, we are not only the best lawyers in the business, but we are definitely the most honest lawyers in the business. <laughs> and we provide full service. So we have a thriving construction defect practice. So we have lawyers who specialize in the representation of associations for uh, construction defect SB 800 matters against developers and builders. We also have a full service corporate transactional practice. And so transactional practice is basically everything else your association deals with. That's a legal issue. And we really pride ourselves on giving straight honest, reliable legal advice. Our office is located in Walnut Creek, but we have clients all over the Bay Area. Genuinely, if you are dealing with it, it's something we've already dealt with. There's a lot of experience at our law firm, and I'm just, I'm thrilled to be there. It's been there for a while. Can I yeah. just add one thing? Because this is a plug for what we're going to talk about. I also think that the attorneys at your firm are very involved in CLAC and the legislative process to try to get laws enacted that actually help homeowners associations. And I know one of the other partners, principals, at your firm is, I think, the president of the Board of Governors, but has also served as the CLAC delegate and the head of CLAC and just very involved in the, from the industry perspective in terms of getting legislation passed. Absolutely. I think that is something that separates Hughes-Gill from other law firms. We definitely look at the big picture of the industry as a whole. It's not just grinding and finding the next client and, you know, making the money money. It's really stepping back and trying to figure out how we can contribute to the growth of our industry coming up with laws that actually make sense. It's a different law firm very much so in that respect. And mm. I, that's one of the things I really love about it. It's a big picture type of place. I can appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, in order to talk about ABE, the 648, let's talk about what the law was before this was passed so that you can recap what it was so we can understand what has changed. Absolutely. So prior to COVID, and a lot of managers and a lot of boards weren't even aware that the civil code did in fact allow for meetings to be held via teleconference, meaning like non-in-person meetings. Now, the civil code used to allow boards to meet via teleconference, whether that's phone or video, as long as there was one physical location that the board designated for members to go and attend a meeting if they chose to do so, okay? So, and there did have to be one board member or a person designated by the board to be at that physical location. But if you had that one physical location, everybody else was able to attend the meeting via phone or via video conference. And this was essentially a hybrid setup. Now, this is not the way most associations conducted their meetings, right? Prior to COVID, it was just understood that every single meeting was going to be in person. If you wanted to show up, you had to be there in person. And that was kind of the way business was. But this law and this opportunity to do these hybrid style meetings always existed. Once we went into COVID, it just kind of became the wild, wild west of HOA life, right? And so that's when people kind of, I think, just went straight to Zoom once we all figured out what Zoom was. And those meetings were largely kind of the motto that we all had in our regular everyday lives back then, which was just do the best that you can, get the information out there, let's try to conduct business law didn't say that we could do meetings entirely by Zoom, but we've got to have meetings. We've got to pay bills. We've got to maintain the common areas. So we're going to do the best that we can. And so everyone just ended up moving to a Zoom-only kind of dynamic. Technically, what they should have done (laughs) was just follow the language of the law. But I understood that even, you know, when there was a shelter in place, you couldn't really designate a physical location. And even if you did, technically two people weren't supposed to be there unless they were six feet apart and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it was conflicting information. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so it would, would have been very, very difficult for associations to conduct meetings the way that the law allowed them to because under the existing law, there was still a physical component aspect, and that's what we weren't allowed to do under COVID, right? So moving to Zoom only absolutely made sense, but essentially what we have now, at least as of today, right? Now We're not talking as yet about the bill that goes into effect in January, but as of today, associations can still do Zoom meetings, but you do have to have that physical location right? Because the law technically does not go into effect until January. So that's where things stand is we're kind of going back to pre-COVID, which is you can do a teleconference meeting as long as there's a physical location and one board member or one director or a person directed by the board is at that physical location. Is it as simple as the property managers identifying in, you know, in their body of the email with the Zoom link or the go-to-meeting, identifying that location and that alternative? Yes, absolutely. That's what our manager does today. Okay. And we're managed by a company out of Pleasanton, and my association's in the South Bay, and 
our physical location is their office. So mm. if you want to go somewhere in person, you have to go to their office. But that's where the manager sits, and that's where they take the call from. But the rest of us are all on Zoom because we don't have a physical location you can meet at on site. It's just our pool, and meeting at the pool is it's a whole other thing. <laughs> I've, done, I've done a lot of meetings yeah. at the pool. Yeah, yeah, we have too. And, you know, otherwise we have to rent a meeting room at the community center. And it's right. like almost $1,000 every time we do that. And like three people show up. So with so many managers working from home, this will need to be an adaptation to make sure that they're staying compliant in the future in January, correct? So in January, and this is a good segue, I guess, to talking about AB 648. So starting January, essentially boards will be permitted to have meetings entirely via teleconference. Again, whether that's via phone or video. As long as the association meets certain conditions that are set forth under the law, right? So if you meet all the requirements under the law, the association does not have to have any physical location at all. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people happy about that. Yes. Now, Kelly, you testified. We actually did a podcast, and you talked about this. You went to Sacramento and testified on this bill. What was it about this that made you want to get involved in this? First of all, like, it's just a good law. It, you know, lowers the operating costs for associations like mine where we don't have a physical location, and the requirement to have a physical location means that it's either our management office, which is very far away, or we rent a room a common room that's expensive. I mean, even running a room in a library is, you know, 50, mm-hmm. 100 bucks. But if you meet monthly, that's a lot for an association. And so to be able to have the option not to. And then my association, we see increased participation because we have Zoom options. A lot of people in my association are younger families and we meet at seven o'clock, which is right around bedtime. And so this allows those people to not, you know, to be able to manage both yeah. things. But be on the phone and hear what's going on for the association and jump in and ask questions when they have them. So we have more participation. We've gotten more people who signed up for the board since then. We used to always perpetually have one or two positions vacant, and now we've got more people. So I just felt like it was a good law, and being able to support and provide a perspective as as a board member but also as a manager, and since the management industry has changed as well, I just thought it was good to put my voice out Mm -hmm. there as a non-lawyer lobbyist speaking to these legislators as an actual person that this will impact. It seems like a very logical adaptation to what we're dealing with, right? You know, the Zooms and the GoToMeetings have been a staple for post-COVID, and it seems like it's achieving two things. One is clarity on the process, but it's also giving a path for people to be able to understand their rights with attending these meetings if they are going to be fully Zoom. So... How is this new law going to affect the individual that had to be president to conduct technical support? Sure. So as I mentioned before, in order to have Zoom-only meetings under AB 648, there are additional requirements and criteria that have to be met. So the first criteria deal with the notices of these Zoom-only meetings, whether it's a board meeting or a membership meeting. The notices now have to contain certain information. The first thing that a notice has to contain is it has to contain clear technical instructions on how the individual can participate via teleconference. So if this is a Zoom-only meeting, there probably needs to be some basic instructions on how an individual, you know, the app that the individual needs to have, how to use the link, things like that, meeting ID, all of that information. 
In addition to that, the second thing is that the notice has to contain a telephone and email address of a person who can provide technical support before and during the actual meeting. So you can't just throw out a Zoom link on a notice anymore and be like, hope to see you there. You have to include some sort of a resource for a member to be able to contact if they're having difficulty logging in or getting connected in, you know, in the manner that the, that the association has set forth for the meeting. So that's the second requirement. The third thing that the notices now also have to include is a reminder that members have the right to request individual delivery of these meeting notices and how they can make that request. So the reason why this was probably included is because now if you are logging into a Zoom room, you're going to need a meeting ID. You'll probably need a passcode. And typically what most associations do is they post notices of the meeting in a common area location or on the association's website. A lot of times it's actually just a physical location, right? They throw it up on the mailboxes. They put it in the kiosk. And so if an individual is at home at their computer logging into Zoom, they don't have the meeting ID. They don't have the passcode. And so requiring that members now know that they can get a copy of that notice directly sent to them allows them to have what they need in order to log in from wherever they are, right? And so it's not just that members have the right to have that. The notices have to remind them that they have a right to get these notices delivered to their home by individual delivery if they choose to do so. Can individual delivery include a direct email? Yes. Okay. If, in fact, the individual has opted into receiving their correspondence via email, yes, that means that it can be emailed to them. That was a law that just came out, I mean, in the last one to two years, that email is individual delivery. Like, right. California's finally catching up with the rest <laughs> of the world, despite, you know, Silicon Valley being headquartered here. So to be clear, it's not mandatory to issue a physical notice of the meeting. It is just mandatory that they have the right to receive that if they request. Yes, and that the notice remind them that they have that right and how they have to go about doing that. So those are new requirements for the notice. And that is in addition to whatever the civil code requires for the notice anyways, right, which is the location, the time, the the agenda items. All of that is on the notice, but now you have to have extra stuff if you want to do a meeting via Zoom only. Is this all the same for an election as well? So one of the things that the law has carved out in terms of Zoom meetings is that you can have the Zoom meetings, you meet the requirements. There are a couple other requirements as well that we haven't gone over, which I can talk about in a moment. But the carve out under this law and under the way the civil code is going to be drafted or will go into effect in January is such that Zoom only meetings or teleconference only meetings cannot take place for meetings where ballots are going to be counted. Okay. Okay. So there are only certain issues that technically under the civil code have to be decided by a ballot. Those meetings would be the election of directors, uh, removal of directors, if you're amending your governing documents, if the membership is passing a special assessment. Those are all issues that have to be decided via secret written ballot under the civil code. If, in fact, there is a meeting where those ballots are going to be opened, It cannot be a Zoom-only meeting, okay? Now, this does not mean that the inspector has to be at the physical location. That was my next question. So the inspector does not have to, but you can't do a Zoom-only meeting 
if it's a meeting where ballots are planning to be opened. Can it be a combination meeting? It absolutely can be a hybrid meeting. And frankly, I think that's what we're going to see because a lot of inspectors, they don't really want to go to these meetings. I mean, that's the way I always did the elections. I was always there and I always had people observing me. But that isn't a requirement under the law. So if we're doing a meeting where ballots are going to be opened, what the association should do is take the hybrid approach. So you provide a Zoom link or a, a GoToMeeting link, but you also designate a physical location where someone can attend if they choose to do so. And they may or may not be in the same room as the inspector while the ballot opening and tabulation is taking place, but you have to have that physical location for a meeting if ballots are going to be opened. That was not in the original draft of the law. That got added because of objections from people that oppose HOA law. So that got added before the first vote in the assembly. And it's my understanding from CACM and CAI that that was a concession that they were willing to make in order to get the other parts of the law passed. And just just so people understand, the, the reason why I think that was probably added into the law is because there's a separate provision of the civil code that says that for these types of meetings where ballots are being opened, members have a right to witness the ballots being opened, okay? And so what would happen in the olden days is that I would come to a meeting and I would just have a bunch of homeowners staring at me sitting like five feet away, just like watching every single ballot I open, every (laughs) single envelope I open, every ballot I tabulated. And so there is this separate right that exists under the law for members to be able to see the ballot opening process, right? And the tabulation process. And so I think that carving out meetings where ballots are opened is the way to kind of address it. The only issue is, as I mentioned, it, it does, there's nothing in the law saying that the inspector has to be at the physical location where those ballots are open. So the inspector can still be at their office. Uh, and certainly during COVID, that's what I did. And I just made sure that the camera was on the stack of envelopes. At all times, At right? all times. And not all inspectors do that. That is... A problem. A problem, I think, because I, I, I think it violates the law. The members have the right to witness that well, well, the whole idea behind it is transparency, right? And, Absolutely. And so when you're not... Deli- fully transparent. Fully transparent, yeah, it leaves a little gray area. How does this affect roll call? So one of the other requirements under AB 648 is if there is a Zoom-only meeting, in addition to all the things we talked about with the notice, all the votes must be via roll call, right? So with a roll call vote, the manager or the president, when there is a measure to be voted on, every single board member's name is called and they have to provide a verbal response to their actual vote, right? In prior meetings and outside, if you are if you have a hybrid meeting or if you have a meeting in person, votes can be taken aye or nay, right? All in favor, say aye. All opposed, say nay. There's no kind of individual, this is how I vote. But if you're doing a Zoom-only meeting under this law, all the votes have to be via roll call. So every single board member has to verbally indicate how they vote. Is there any requirement on the camera being on or off for that roll call? Ooh, good question. No, there's no requirement that any cameras actually have to be on, at least in the law. I think there are reasons why you would 
would want, want it. it. Yeah. Uh, really, ideally, is a Zoom meeting should be a meeting of people. And I think we've all been on Zooms where like everybody's all camera black is turned off. And <laughs> I do present to ourselves. I do present. Yeah, we do presentations, and it's hard. I mean, it's it's a very it awkward process. And if meetings are really intended to be a gathering of the community, that means we have to see each other, right? We have to we have to see it. <laughs> I know an attorney that said he went all the way through the interview process and a litigation with this board and never once saw them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I, I was never on a Zoom call the other day where they asked a board member to turn his camera on, and he turned his camera on, and he was laying in his bed. <laughs> yeah. Like, like fully laying down. Because <laughs> it, it depends on the board member, but I mean, yeah, yeah it's, it's different. Well, Russell, I mean, I guess because the law is about teleconference or video conference. So you technically don't have to have your video camera on because right. that would exclude the ability to do teleconference meetings. That's right. I know we did a lot for like executive sessions, mm -hmm. especially in the event of like litigation when a decision had to be made very quickly if an offer has been on the table and we needed to jump on a call quickly yeah. with the attorney so that they could get an, an answer about that. Right. So. And one of the other requirements under AB 648 is that in addition to all of everything with the notices, in addition to all the votes being via roll call, all the attendees have to be able to participate via phone. So the law is specifically written so that if people don't have access to Zoom, if people don't have access to the internet for whatever reason, they can still participate via phone and everyone has to be able to do that. So in those cases, of course, they wouldn't have a video to turn on, right? So that's that's how that works so, out. So the law actually really seems tailored to allow all people's situations to be accommodated, right? So from physical location to access to internet and technical devices to cell phones and telephones. So it, it was really like a capture all uh, means of access for that meeting. Is there any things that management should know, managers, regarding the distribution of recorded meetings? If there's a requirement to record them, is there a requirement to disperse them? Is there any protection for executive session, et cetera? Yeah. So this question came up a lot during COVID, obviously, because we were only doing Zoom meetings, whether or not we were allowed to or not, really. And so the issue kind of became... How do we, first of all, ensure that members are not recording meetings? Because if this was an in-person meeting, right, people wouldn't like walk in with a camera or right. turn on their cell phone, although some people try to do that. What the general guidance has been is you just make a statement at the beginning. First of all, it should be on the notice, right? I, I think that's a good idea as well, is that, that if this is going to be a Zoom meeting that it should not, it cannot be recorded. That sh a statement should be made, I think, at the beginning of the meeting as well. And then you hope that people comply with that. There is no way of knowing whether or not there frankly are recordings being done because it could just be a cell phone that mm -hmm. is off camera that is recording the meeting and everything that's being said. So there are certain things that we can and we cannot control within the Zoom context. You know, pre-COVID people would come to meetings with like their cell phone or a tape recorder in their, you know, handbag or something like that. And then these recordings would get out there. I mean, if people want to record you, they're going to record you, right? But as a rule, you know, the, we, we always say generally meetings should not be recorded. So if management is running the meeting, typically we don't recommend that they record the meeting. Understand any sort of recordation of these, these all become part of the association's records. And so if you get into litigation or even outside the context of litigation, people want 
that original content. They don't want the minutes. They want to see the, you know, they want to see the video. They want to hear the audio of actually what was said because they don't believe what's in the minutes. So we don't recommend recording it, whether you're operating the Zoom or otherwise. And certainly there's no obligation, even if the board decides against legal counsel's opinion, to videotape or to record the meeting, there is no requirement under the law to provide a copy of that to the membership. What's required under the law is that members are entitled to a copy of the minutes. So it's really ideal that there's just the minutes and nothing else. The opposition did try to get that added into the law, and thank goodness it did not. It was highly objected to because of the fact that then it becomes part of the association's record. How do you store all these recordings? Where do you store oh, them? Oh, I can only a imagine. Host of like how much space those take up and will take up in perpetuity because you know they're, they would essentially have been treated like minutes, and you would have had to keep them forever. And you have to kind of be careful because these teleconferencing platforms like Zoom or Teams, or they all record as well, both video and sound, right? So those are already something that has to be noticed. Do you think that ultimately this bill is going to get modified to spell anything out a little bit better, or you think this is good to go? Well, I think that this is a good law. I think that there are some aspects of it that probably can be fleshed out a little bit better. I think this, frankly, the aspect of this ballot counting issue, this is going to come up. I think Mm -hmm. this is essentially a loophole. They tried to address this because of the right of members to be able to witness the ballots being opened, but the law doesn't require the inspector or the ballots to be opened at that physical location. So I think that if there's any tinkering to the law, they might actually make that a requirement, which I don't know how that's going to go over. But I think that might kind of be an area where they could clean it up. And, you know, ultimately, I, I do think it's probably a lot to ask an association, especially like a self-managed one, to have someone on hand at all times to provide technical assistance before yeah. and during a Zoom call. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a ad, right? It's it's yes. it's someone it's going to the cost, cost the cost is going to come from somewhere. Yeah, and maybe you're going to have a board member who's like, "Yeah, that's fine. I can do it. I could talk someone through it." Or maybe the manager will be able to do so, but you know, the manager's also arguably taking notes during the meeting, right? And helping run the meeting. And so if someone calls in the middle of the meeting, 10 minutes in, 12 minutes in, and they're like, "I can't figure out how to click on the link I'm entering the passcode or whatever it is how does that's going to impact the board meeting right so I understand why that's a requirement in the notices I think it makes sense I just think that ultimately it might be difficult for associations to comply and you get one homeowner who can't get access to a meeting and then you know really hang things up yeah so what advice do you have for managers that are trying to do this kind of email meeting or email election? Well, you know, we're not allowed to do elections via email. Certainly, I think that taking a step back, I think that eventually at least voting via email is something that I know has been talked about in the industry for quite some time. And this, you know, when we have board members who are concerned about how these laws kind of impact them or like the herky-jerkiness of the law or it doesn't really work in real life. I really think that this is an opportunity for managers and people in the industry to encourage board members to 
write their legislator, become members of CLAC, at least yes. find out what's going on, attend sessions that educational sessions that are put on by CAI or CACM or ECHO. There are ways for owners to ask for the things they want within their associations. They just have to be directed. So anytime, you know, for years and years, when I talk to clients about new laws and they're like, this is a terrible law. This doesn't do, do these, have these people ever been to a board meeting? Do they know how hard it is to get people to volunteer? I always encourage managers use their frustration as an opportunity to say, hey, this is actually something that you can get involved in and you can be a part of changing this. You can move the needle. Absolutely. This is the HOA industry. I mean, it's a big industry here in California without a doubt, but it's not like, it's not like, you know, the petroleum lobby. I mean, there, there are ways for people every day to get involved and have an impact on whether or not this becomes law, whether it gets changed, whether it becomes worse or better. And I think that that's really how you approach these laws when people are like, how do we make this work? This, is, this isn't realistic or whatever it is. It isn't realistic to have someone on technical support mm-hmm. during every single board meeting. And I'm so glad you said that because there's a lot of people who do want to contribute on that level and they just don't know the path of how to let yeah. their voice be heard, right, as an individual who's directly impacted by that to give firsthand experience to the to the law writers and lawmakers. So I think just that those last couple uh, sentences you said are very helpful for people of how to get involved to help move that needle and have that impact. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not hard. CAI makes it very, very easy to get involved through, with their LAC programs mm-hmm. and keep you up to date on what's going on in, in current legislation and, and how you can participate. And they're always looking for people. And I think yeah. the biggest thing this industry needs to know is that advocacy at the legislative level is grassroots. We do not have, we have one paid lobbyist for CAI and we have one part-time paid lobbyist for CACM. (laughs) And ECHO doesn't have a lobbyist. We don't have people who are continually advocating on behalf of the industry. In California, there's just not the money to do that and across the country. So we have to, as an industry, spend some time, set aside some time and get involved. And And it doesn't take a lot. I mean, CAI has like a button you can push and it drafts an email to your your legislator, whoever is your legislator in your particular neighborhood. It finds that person, connects you with them, and you just send them a, a message. That's fantastic. And it's just easy. It takes that's as easy as it could be. Less than five minutes, I think. If That includes creating your account. So, I mean, and those are things where you can say, vote yes for this bill, vote no for this bill, and here's why. And they give you, they write it out for you. It makes it so easy and, to do it. So. And during COVID, they moved the, you know, CLAC's Day at the Capitol, which used to be an in-person event where literally mm-hmm. people from the industry went to Sacramento and walked around and had meetings with with different, you know, legislators. Now this is done via, it was done at least, I think, definitely virtually. during COVID. It's all done virtually. I don't know if it's still done. It's going to be hybrid, virtually. I think, okay. next year. But I mean, how easy is that for a member? Just, you know, you can participate. And that matters. Like, it matters when you're talking to these legislators and they get on the Zoom or they're there and they see the people. That's how they decide how they're going to vote on things, you guys. This is, they need to see their constituents. Well, Zara, I know time goes by so quick, but you had so many good points. But of course, the name of the podcast is HOA. It's a true story. Do you have a story to share? (laughs) Always. Story Um, time. Yeah. Actually, tomorrow is my uh, 20th 
law school reunion, and I have been in the industry for 19 of those years. So I do have a lot of stories. But on this particular topic, I think that, as we mentioned, that this law is great because we want to move to this Zoom virtual world largely, not always, but we do. But, you know, I I also want to remind a lot of people what meetings, in-person meetings were like in the past. And sometimes they just were nuts. Yes. Like they were just nuts. And I have this one story that sticks out. I was going to a board meeting. This was like, I don't know, maybe like 15 years ago. In-person meeting. I had never met this board before. Down in the South Bay, group of five people, uh, they had wanted to talk to me about basketball standards. So like basketball hoops. And there was this big debate in the community about whether to have them, where they should have them, how many to have, should the association just have them. So I go to this meeting and there were five board members, three of which were kind of these like big, kind of like burly guys. Like one of them mm-hmm. had like a Vietnam vet hat on, like definitely like solid dude, like good firm handshakes. And two of the board members were kind of just smaller, just stature wise, smaller women. Very, very nice initially. <laughs> and we get into the discussion about this issue about basketball hoops. And I kid you not, it became so heated and there was yelling. And the people who were yelling were the two women. And at one point, one of the one of the women said, I, I need, I, I have to write this down because I'm going to forget it. Like, I want to know what we're talking about. And she reaches for a pen that was in the middle of the table. And the woman who she was arguing with was seated closer to the pen. So the woman who was seated closer to the pen takes the pen and says, you're not going to use this pen to write down what's happening at the meeting. And the other woman says, oh, I'm going to use that pen. And she gets up. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Exactly. She gets up, comes around the table. The woman is holding the pen like this. She grabs her wrist and is trying to wrestle this pen, this big pen, out of this woman's hand. And I am sitting there like, is this happening? Like, where is the camera? This has to be (laughs) fake. I can't even believe this. The three dudes are just sitting there silent. Watching, they are just watching, watching the cat fight. this happen. And I had to say, ladies, let's act like ladies. Like, please, if, th- if this doesn't stop, I'm going to leave. Um, it did stop. She wrestled it away. Um, like, hair was tussled. <laughs> it was like the whole thing. The meeting ends. One of the gentlemen decides to walk me out. And we get out. And I said, what just happened? Like, what, what was that? And he's like, you know, I just don't, I just, we don't like to get involved when the, when the women get mad at each other. And I said, um, okay, you know, you can't really have that at a board meeting. I was just in such shock. So I I mentioned this story because that's kind of like the worst of what those in-person meetings were like and how random and crazy they were. So I think we're moving in the right direction with this law um, because before that, you know, things get crazy. And there there was a physical fight over a big pen. Oh, yeah. I've been in board meetings where there was I, fights. I had, when I first moved to the Bay Area, uh, the other partner in your firm, John Gill, was attending monthly meetings of this client down in the South Bay. So it was an hour and a half commute for him each way to go down to attend these meetings because the very first meeting I went to, and I had just moved down to the Bay Area, I mean, maybe like three months before. And his first meeting with this client, 
the treasurer tried to choke out the board president. <laughs> nice. And so John had to attend God. these meetings for like a year after that until this could settle down. Until yeah. One of those people. Well, and, and part of the reason why we go to these laws, uh, I actually had a scenario about 20 years ago where uh, they were trying to put somebody onto the board and so they falsified the election. Oh, man. And the way they got caught was they took all the ballots down to Long Beach and mailed them in Long Beach all at one time. So they were all postmarked from Long Beach at the same time. And when they started going through them, they were talking about it, and the board member happened to be sitting there, and they opened his ballot, and it wasn't his vote. He had voted a different way, and he said, wait a minute, let me see that. So then he starts looking and sees that they're all fraudulently signed and dated. And oh, wow. so they, they were able to, you know, to catch this event occurring. But it just goes to show that's why these laws got put into place to begin yeah. with is because people were doing dirty deeds. Yeah. It's like when you're the 70% student and you get 100 on the test. <laughs> and <laughs> something probably went on there. So. <laughs> Well, thank you again, and if anybody has any questions about this bill, they can certainly reach out to Zer at Hughes Gill, Cochran, and Tanetti, and I'm sure she'll be happy to walk through it or give you any advice you need for of your course. board. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's really great to, uh, to see all you guys do this and just really have the chance to educate people about what matters in our industries and kind of the laws that impact the way that our HOAs, you know, how, how they operate. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll have you back again. Sounds Thanks good. again. Thank you.